All right, good morning, everybody. So my name is John, and I am uh, outreach and care pastor for New Life, and uh, mostly in Turlock, but I love, love, I can't even tell you, this is not a lie at all. I love it when I get a chance to come be in Turlock, I mean in Patterson. I just messed up. In Patterson. Now it does sound like I'm lying. <laughs> no, Patterson. Um, you guys are awesome. I love you guys. Um, I have to fight against the urge to be envious of Jeremy um, just because I think you guys are great. And so thanks for allowing me to be here. Not that you had a choice, but here I am. Um, actually, Pastor Jeremy, uh, since he's been bad, they sent him to Turlock today. So he's, he's speaking at our Turlock campus this morning, but he'll be back next weekend. So um, yeah, so I just want to welcome everybody, and uh, if this is your very first time with us here in Patterson, we just want to say to you, welcome home. And that's not a creepy way, we just want you to know that you're welcome here. So we're so glad that you're here, and uh, we feel very privileged that you're here. Um, so a couple of things, uh, make sure if this is your first time here, this is not like product placement, <laughs> this is to remind me that um, if it's your first time here, stop by our little welcome, our little uh, starting point table after service today, and we want to give you a mug just to say thanks for being with us. So you can drink your coffee or water or tea or whatever you have in the morning to try to be awake. Um, your programs on the back side of it have like a note-taking sheet on it, so if you want to follow along, you can do that. If you want to make paper airplanes out of it, just don't throw them at me. Um, so, some of you have been looking forward to the summer nights thing that we were going to have, uh, but I want to tell you that during this past week, um, every vendor, I think but one, said, it's going to be too hot. <laughs> it's going to be like a million degrees tonight, so we are postponing that, so make sure you, if, if you want to come and just enjoy the heat, you can do that on your own, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's not going to be a summer nights tonight, so keep Stay tuned for uh, when we schedule that again, but um, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen tonight. A um, couple other things. Let's see. Skip the page. Okay, so summer nights, yeah. Women's retreat sign-ups. You see Lisa in the lobby after church, and let me tell you, if you get your tickets through Lisa after church, they're $5. If you get them online, they're also $5, but... They charge $5 handling fee, so you can literally get them for half price if you get them through Lisa today, okay? So yeah, it's crazy. Some of you just like, I have so much money, I got to spend it somewhere, so you're going to get them online, that's fine, but for the rest of us. Um, and the last thing I'm going to tell you is the pool party for, uh, is it for the youth or is it for the senior high or junior high, Brian? Okay, both of them are at y'all's house? Awesome. So if you need directions, either see Brian or Tracy after service or call our office or something, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, all right. So you know what he didn't announce is, uh, is giving, so I guess just don't worry about that today. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell him he didn't put it on here, so I just told him, hey, man, 
go spend it on lunch. No. Hey, um, it is, in all seriousness, it is a way that we, that we can worship and give back to the Lord. And so it is something that, that actually God wants us to do from our joyful hearts. Um, it's not a matter of obligation or something that, oh, you know, the church is always after money. It's a matter of, hey, this is something that God has blessed me with, and I want to give it to him. So if that's something that you have come prepared to do to give a gift to the Lord, there's a, uh, a box at the door, or you can do that online or through our app, okay? All right. Am I missing anything else? You're like, don't ask us. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, thanks for allowing me to spend some time with you today. Um, I, uh, like I said, I jump at the chance to be here. Um, we're going to continue this series called Wise Up from the book of Proverbs. And uh, we're going to dive into a concept that is rarely found in our society today. It stands in opposition to, uh, to so much of what we see around us. Uh, it's in contrast to consumerism and materialism. Uh, it's what you need if you've ever been afraid of losing everything or felt overwhelmed by the pressure to succeed. It silences the voice inside that says, enough is never enough. What is it? Well, you know, it's contentment. Let's look into the book of, of Proverbs and look at this wisdom today and learn how we can find contentment, all right? First, let's look at what contentment is not. We have an old friend in our family. Uh, actually, we, when we first moved back to California, we rented a house from them. Um, and their names are Dave and Marlene Murphy. Well, Dave, ha they have this little miniature schnauzer named Cooper. And Cooper follows Dave everywhere he goes. Like, no matter what, they have to, like, forcefully uh, keep him in the house so that it doesn't follow him some places. But, but most of the time, Cooper is just Dave's uh, companion, his sidekick. And that little dog just is so faithful and just follows him. And so sometimes Dave comes to uh, our Turtle campus, at least, and, and I know he's been here too, but he does these projects because he's a retired fireman. And uh, he's got this time and he's got all these years of knowledge. And so he comes, he works on broken lights or, or replacing something that's, you know, like putting in some conduit or finding things on the old plans or whatever it is. And uh, Cooper's always with him. So I made it my, my mission just a few weeks ago that I'm going to become friends with Cooper. Because usually Cooper wanders into my office, takes a look around, and then you know, he's kind of done, done his inspection, and now he's done. He's going to head out. So I was like, I'm going to make Cooper my friend, and so he'll let me, you know, kind of pet him, and I'll get, I'll get that, that good feeling from petting, you know, beautiful little doggy. And um, so I, I got treats. So every time now Cooper comes into my office, he knows he's going to get treats. But the funny thing is, and if you have a dog, you probably have experienced this too, that when I give Cooper a treat, he munches it, and then he looks at me like, treat? What treat? There was no treat. Where's the next one? And so I'll give him another treat, and he'll eat that down. And the same thing. When are you going to give me a treat? I want a treat. And it's just like this constant, like, it disappears, and then it's like it never happened. He's always wanting just one more. Just one more. And eventually I have to just go, I'm cutting you off, Cooper. You know, and there's no more you're going to like make me go bankrupt from, from doggy treats. But this is a picture of, of what it looks like to be discontent. 
right? It's always one more, 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 more. In Proverbs 30, verse 15 through 16, it tells us about discontentment or the lack of satisfaction. It's kind of a vivid picture. You ready? It says, the leech has two suckers that cry out, more, more. There are three things that are never satisfied, no four, that never say enough. The grave, that's true, right? My, my friend used to drive by, you know, um, funeral homes and say people are dying to get in there every day, which is not really funny, but anyway. Um, so there's that and uh, the, the barren womb. And if you've ever been, I mean, my wife and I had been like that at one time where we were just like, God, when are you going to bless us with a child, you know? And, and we know that feeling of like, oh God, just please, please, please. And it's this feeling of like, I won't be satisfied until that happens. It says uh, the thirsty desert. We know that's right too. You could pour water into the desert for days and it would just all soak up. I never have enough. And then it says the blazing fire. You've never seen a fire go, oh no, no, don't throw any more wood in me. I'm done. Right? There's always that desire for more. And those are just weird pictures. But you could have added um, another thing that is never satisfied is a high school boy's stomach, right? Um, most of us know the feeling of frustration when we are not satisfied. Maybe you've gone to a, to a fancy restaurant, really fancy restaurant. The fancier the restaurant is, the smaller the food gets. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And like you're paying all this money and it's like this little tiny, beautiful, but really small morsel of food. And it's like, is that, yeah, <laughs> is that it? That is, that's right. That's, that's the feeling of, I'm not going to be satisfied with this. It's like you, you leave there. It's like, well, we got to go to KFC now or someplace because <laughs> there's no way I'm going to survive the night with, with that little bit of food. Um, but we, we've been in those places, you know, when, when, when there's just sort of a, there's more month than there is paycheck or where others succeed around us. And it's like, what about me? When is it my turn, right? When do I get to experience that? Why, why not me, God? Or, or maybe we experience the if onlys. If only I had more money. If only I was famous. If only I was better looking. I know Jeremy says that all the time. If, <laughs> If only I was more talented. Some are much more personal than that, though. Like, if only my partner hadn't cheated. Or if only my loved one hadn't died. If only I hadn't gotten sick. Or if only I hadn't taken that drink. And we would all like to find the secret of contentment. Most of us struggle with our past to some degree, or our present, or the future. We long for contentment and peace. We get stressed out trying to fill a tank that seems to have holes in it. It's like trying to fill a colander with water. You just keep pouring water in, but it all leaks out. Sometimes we can struggle with with sin in our life that brings those things on too, like greed and anxiety and fear and lust and pride, they can choke away the peace that we'd like to find. So how do we find contentment? I want you to open your Bible to Proverbs 23. We're going to look at the first 
little bit of it together. But first, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we bow before you, God, acknowledge you as King and Lord of our lives. God, we thank you for your word that speaks life and nourishment into our very souls. And we, God, we pray that today you would do that in us. The things that we wrestle with, the things that we struggle with, we feel beaten down by. God, I pray, bring healing and wholeness and, and, and strength to those areas today, we pray. Speak to us through your word, we pray, Jesus. Amen. So verse 1 says this. While dining with a ruler, pay attention to what is put before you. If you're a big eater, put a knife to your throat. Don't desire all the delicacies, for he might be trying to trick you. Let me just say, I'm not suggesting anybody put a knife to their throat. And I don't really think that's what he's talking about. I think he's saying like in hyperbole. He's like, it's like a saying, right? You might as well just stuff a sock in it or whatever you have to do to not, not eat too much. Let's unpack this proverb though, because we need to ask when we read scripture, what is it actually saying? What is it saying? To, what did it say to them? What does it say to me? What does that mean for my life? Think back to the most recent time that you were having dinner at a ruler's house, right? Like, just think about what that, I mean, most of us don't have those experiences, right? We don't have a habit of eating with rulers, but look closer to what that's saying. If you were to take that concept into today's world, it would be like somebody important, somebody who has influence, somebody who's, who's wealthy, who's famous, who, who, has, um, who has like people following them or whatever. And you're, you're invited to their luxurious dinner. And you arrived in the shiny, impressive car. You walk in and you, they take your coat and lead you into this massive dining room. And everything is just plush. They've got awesome, like, or, original art by famous artists on the walls. They've got, you know, gold fixtures and carved wood and, and, and beautiful floors, mar marble floors. Interesting thing in, in Greece, in Athens, they have uh, so much marble that even just the, the curbs on the sidewalks are marble because it's like it's just rock. But to us, it's like marble floor. Anyway, so it has all these things. Um, they, you know, an imported table that's all intricately carved, covered in the finest linens, and has jewel-studded candelabras and golden place settings. And you're led to your seat. And as you look around the table, you notice that the other people sitting there, they're all important. They're all known. They're celebrities. They're in sports or film or or you know, on TV or in movies or in music. And already the table is spread with all the finest culinary deliciousness. The aroma is almost intoxicating. And hopefully you ate breakfast because otherwise you're like, um, might have to leave early, Pastor John. But um, what we're talking about here is a lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle that it's easy to kind of wish we had. The dinner's all about what it says about who you are, your importance, your value, your influence. The key to this saying is the phrase at the end that says, he might be trying to trick you. So there's, there's, on the one hand, there's all these wonderful things. Oh, you're sitting at this great table. There's all this delicious food, everything, and it's fancy, and you're sitting there with the, the highest you know, ruler in the land. But... At the end of it, maybe he's trying to trick you. So what's the principle? It's about not getting sucked in 
by what the ruler has to offer, not getting drawn in by the fancy and the posh and the, 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 nice, the nicer things. What he's saying is this, watch out for those who tempt you with special privileges that come from being important or influential or famous. You could be sitting at the king's table with golden plates and everything in it, with all the lifestyle that goes on there, but there's something that the king wants from you. There's another side of this, and it's not pretty, and it's, it's this kind of like bait and switch where he's like, here, I'll give you all this, but I want something in return. See, because we want, part of us, we want to be noticed. We want to feel important. We want to feel valued. We want to feel respected. And sometimes we're tempted to seek outward signs to tell us who we are, that we matter. We need someone else to kind of acknowledge our importance. And we can all be drawn in by that similar lure. We look at our life and somehow it just doesn't feel enough. It doesn't feel like it measures up. We don't feel special enough. We feel undervalued and maybe looked over. So what do we do? Sometimes we dress to impress. We push our brand. We seek to be elevated. We want to be promoted. Truth is, we might be able to get a seat at the king's table, but at what cost? See, contentment is not found in trying to promote myself. Number one, you can write this down on your sheet is this. I find contentment when I embrace the humility of Christ. When I embrace the humility of Christ. Wise contentment comes from knowing you are chosen by the king of the universe, that you are his child, chosen and loved by God. He invites you to his table and there are no strings attached. There's no need to puff up your chest or, or, or tell everyone how great you are. I always think about that. Remember back in 2000, it was back in 2002 that, that Hollywood came up with this concept of American Idol. Can you believe that was 2002? And we all know the whole scenario, right? A, a young man or young woman have a chance to just be a, be a pop star. And so they come and audition. And I love watching the auditions. I didn't even care about the rest of the show, but the auditions always, you know, promised some surprises, right? So you could always tell, though, when somebody was, you know, going to be extra fun to watch because they would always start the same way. I'm a really good singer, Everybody tells me I'm the best singer. I am the next American Idol, right? As soon as they say that, you know, okay, get ready. Because you know it's going to be terrible, right? I mean, they're going to be saying Simon's going to be mean when he was on there or somebody else is going to be mean. It's just like, this is not going to go well. And it always starts with somebody saying, look at me, I'm really great. Well, we need... To not go that route. My, I've always been taught that if you're good, you don't need to tell anybody. Um, we need to embrace humility. Jesus said it this way. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. Kind of like it's almost like talking about the same thing, right? With a ruler, but this is a wedding feast. Don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, oh, you need to give up your seat. <laughs> Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. And that's a wah-wah. 
Instead, take the lowest seat at the foot of the table at the beginning. So then when your host sees you, he will come to say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's another verse that talks about we should have the same attitude of Christ. Even though he, he, he was God himself, he, did, he lowered himself and became a servant even unto death. So there's this picture of the humility that Christ has. So don't go ahead and we don't get ahead by pushing our way to the front, which is so contrary to what society tells us, right? You got you to gotta, you know, promote yourself. You got to build yourself up. You know, we don't get there by stepping on others or trying to get invited to the popular crowd or the cool kids table. We focus our attention on achieving the next level, climbing the social ladder through arrogance and self-promotion, but we will never find contentment that way. It will never be enough. There's always going to be something else demanded of you in order to sit at that table. But embracing Christ's humility sets you free from trying to impress or trying to convince others that you're worthy of it. Listen closely, because it's, not all, it's also not about believing that you're nothing or that you're worthless. Now, in fact, you're worth the death of God's one and only son. So don't mistake low self-esteem for humility. I used to think that. When I grew up, I always think, I used to think that I was worthless, nothing, garbage. In fact, is I still struggle with that. Thoughts, those thoughts still come into my head. And people would say to me, oh, John, you're so humble. And I would get all like, oh, proud of myself. I'm so humble. But in reality, I was trashing something that God considers treasure. And God doesn't call us to do that. No matter what you have been told or believed about yourself, you are God's treasure. But that's not something that we go, ha ha, I'm greatest, greater than everybody. No, you know, it's kind of those things, if everybody's special, nobody's special. Well, everybody's a treasure to God, but you know what? It's still special. It's still, you're still a treasure. So you need to see yourself through the eyes of Christ Jesus. Don't look to the world around you to decide what you're worth. If you've been doing that, you need to stop, turn around and start believing what God says about you. So what does this look like in everyday life? Here's some practical steps. First of all, be honest with yourself. Ask God to show you if you've been living to please others or to promote yourself. And as he reveals those areas, ask him to forgive you and, and to give you humility, humility. Accept and affirm God's view of you and write out, maybe print some verses that reaffirm that, like 1 Corinthians 7, 23. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. What is that high price? It's Christ, Christ's death on the cross. Or Ephesians 2.10 is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. For, you, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. You're walking, you are a walking masterpiece. So we need to embrace Christ's humility to find contentment. Well, what's next? We, we see it in the next proverb, verses four through five. It says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. 
The very first phrase speaks about being dissatisfied, right? Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Why would anyone wear themselves out to get rich? Because they're not content with what we have, right? That's what can drive us and even even drive us almost like to an early grave or drive us to losing our family or drive us to losing our health. All for what? To make that dollar. Something that happens at our house every year at Christmas time is uh, we make lists for what we want for Christmas, right? You guys do this? And um, so my wife just really wrestles with this. She has a hard time finding figuring out what she wants for Christmas. And it usually winds up being like the sweater or, you know, some candles or something. She just doesn't think a lot about what she wants. I do not have that problem. Like (laughs) me and, and our oldest son, Colby, we both are like thinking about things all the time. I mean, Amazon is the worst thing that's ever happened to me because all I can do is go in there and go, like, I see things on there, like, I didn't even know that existed two minutes ago, but now I have to have it. So I put it on my wish list, right? And um, for me, it's just so weird, because every time I, I get these things that I thought I had to have, it doesn't take very long before it's like, eh, that's all right, but look at this one. Look at this shiny new one. So I, I, I'm embarrassed, but I can definitely relate to Cooper. I can definitely relate to that just one more kind of mentality. But more doesn't equal contentment. That's the thing. And we've all heard the saying, money won't buy happiness. But some of us would like to try being miserably rich for just a minute or two, right? And uh, so this proverb that we read paints a picture of someone who is working extra long hours, burning the candle at both ends, sacrificing everything that matters, relational, spiritual, physical, mental health, all for what? For that next paycheck, for a bonus, for a better car, maybe some new toy, a bigger house, a bigger vacation. Is it worth it? Basically, wisdom tells us don't blink because if you do, all of that hard-earned cash will be gone just like that. It grows wings and flies away. And there is nothing more frustrating than working really hard for something and watching it disappear. All that hard work, all of the sacrifices, missing kids' games, eating way too much junk food, getting too little sleep, and in the end, it just doesn't deliver what it promises. It flies away. My friend Glenn, uh, he was our exchange student from South Korea a few years back, and uh, he was awesome. He became instantly a member of our family. Um, but one thing you should know about Glenn is he was very entrepreneurial. He still is. Um, but he, when he lived with us, he came up with this great plan for how to make money. So he was going to grow shrimp. And I don't know the name of them, but they're really tiny shrimp. And so he got the aquarium. And his idea was he was going to make it so it was a self-sustaining shrimp farm so that the water and the, the plants inside were gonna produce the food the shrimp needed and the shrimp were gonna help grow the plant. It's all gonna be, you know, kind of copacetic. And so the shrimp died. <laughs> he figured out he actually needed to feed them. But, um, but it was, I, I could see the frustration and we were talking about it as I was driving him someplace afterwards and, and I was t- trying to comfort him, but I was saying, hey, you know, you know, Glenn, money doesn't, 
Money doesn't make you happy. And he said these wise words to me, which doesn't make, it hasn't made it into Proverbs, but I think it's pretty smart. He says, it's easier to cry in a Lamborghini than on a bicycle. <laughs> I think he might be right on that one. We often have a mentality that says, I'll trust God, but I need a backup plan. Or I'll trust God and I'll depend on him as long as he gets me what I want when I want it. Otherwise, I'm going to take it into my own hands and make it happen myself. But living that way, listen, will never lead to contentment. Here's the wisdom from God's word. This is number two, if you want to write it down. I find contentment when I depend on God to provide. Honestly, what comes to your mind when you hear that? I find contentment when I depend on God to provide. Are you wondering how that works? Does it sound too simplistic or too unrealistic? Is it something you already believe or is it a concept that's, that's new to you? For some of us, it's something we've heard for a long time. We even maybe sing songs about it growing up in church. Remember anybody? Jehovah Jireh. No, maybe a couple. Jehovah Jireh literally means the Lord provides. He's the Lord who provides. It's one of the names that God actually calls himself. So it seems familiar to some of us, but for others of us, we've been told most of our lives that if it's going to be, it's up to me, right? That I've got to make it happen. And there's a certain amount of that that's true. We can't just sit back and do nothing. We can't just wait around for somebody else to come and do it for us. But we also can get into this trap of thinking, if I just work hard enough, if I just work smart enough, I'll get ahead. And sometimes we kind of leave God in the dust. But listen, the Lord provides for our physical needs, but we are literally wearing ourselves out sometimes just to get more. We're not depending on God's provision, we're not living in contentment. You might think that if you just had a little bit more, you would just be content. That's the lie, right? I, I'm not content now, but if I just get to here, then I will be happy. Okay, well, and then you get to there. And it's like, oh, wait. Oh, if I just get to here, then I'll be happy. Oh, and then you get there and, oh, man. And it just is this perpetual thing that keeps growing. Listen to the words of Paul that Paul wrote. And remember, Paul was well, he was at the top of his game. He had influence. He had people looking up to him. He was, he was leading things. People, you know, admired him. And then he turned from all of that so he could share the message of hope in Jesus. He wrote this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. A lot of us have heard that last part of that verse, but we've never necessarily connected it to this idea of contentment. Notice that Paul says he learned to be content. It's not something he was born with. It's not something that necessarily came easy for him. It was something he had to grow in. He had to learn how to be content. He found enough strength in Christ that he could live in contentment. 
And he continues a few verses later to say that these same promises apply to all of us. He says, and the same God, the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus. So we already have these glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We've already arrived in some ways because we have these riches in Christ Jesus and he supplies. And he doesn't say God might supply your needs. He says he will. He will supply your needs. So Paul is saying to us that God loves us just as much as he loved Paul. And he was more than enough to meet our needs. So what does depending on God look like? We've got to take an honest look at our working life and what it's doing to us. Maybe we need to take a break. Maybe we need to come up with a plan that will reduce our hours. Maybe we need to put limits on when we turn off the computer or turn off our phone. Maybe we should ask our family what they think about our work schedule. Ah. And then we have to actually really listen to what they say. I don't know what your situation is or, or what sort of demands are put, placed on you. Um, you might carry a heavy burden every single day that is literally draining the life out of you. And let me just tell you straight, something has to change. There is a life of contentment that God has for you. It's just a matter of beginning to learn what that looks like. Okay, so we need to embrace humility in Christ. We need to learn how to depend on his provision. What else can bring us contentment? Let's skip down to verse 10. Read a bit more. It says this. It's an interesting scenario. I think, you know, a lot of us experience this all the time. It says, don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary markers. Don't take the land of defenseless orphans, for their redeemer is strong. He himself will bring their charges against you. So if any of you are going out in the middle of the night, moving ancient boundary markers and taking the land of defenseless orphans, stop it. Okay, don't do that. It's bad. And some of you got I'm like, Pastor John is weird. Where's Pastor Jeremy? Anyway, so how does this apply to us? So bear with me. I'm, I'm hoping it will make sense as we look a little bit closer at this proverb, okay? For starters, I want you to imagine the reality from the viewpoint of the orphans. Imagine these orphans. Their parents are gone, right? All they're left with is maybe this little tiny house with maybe a small part of land. And that's what is going to be what takes care of them for the rest of their lives. They've already lost the people that, they, that, they, that were watching over them, that were taking care of them, that brought protection and provision to their lives. And now they're stuck with, man, we, at, least we, at least we have something for mom and dad. We can, we can live off of this land. But then one of them steps out the next morning and looks out and something's changed. Somebody in the middle of the night has moved the boundary markers, right? With the kind of like the boundaries between properties. So now overnight, they lost a bunch of their property because somebody moved that marker. Who would do that? Who would ever do that to anyone, let alone to orphans? It's a picture of advancing one's agenda at the expense of someone else who's weaker. What recourse do they have? They're not strong enough to take it back by force. They probably can't afford to pay somebody to, to take them to court. 
But just when all seems lost, I love this, who steps in? And if you look at that verse, it says the Redeemer takes up their cause. And it's a capital R. That's a clue that it's talking about God. That God actually takes up their side. So this may surprise you, but God doesn't like people taking stuff from orphans and widows. He doesn't like it when the vulnerable are taken advantage of. We may not talk about it a lot, but God is a God of justice. So when he sees things that aren't fair, that don't match up, he sees someone being taken advantage, it does not make him happy. And he doesn't just wink at it and look the other way. He knows it. And we actually, if we involve ourselves in anything like that, we actually make God our adversary. Anybody here like going, I would like to do a versus God, like me versus God. If you do, that's fine, but it will be the last time. Caring for those who are vulnerable puts us on God's side. So the opposite is also true, right? Prophet Isaiah recorded these words from God's heart. He says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. And we read in the book of Deuteronomy, he ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So this is a picture of something that God cares about. If that is part of God's heart, what does that mean for us? God wants us to pursue what is aligned with his heart. Number three is this. I find contentment when I align my heart with God's heart. This is how you and I were created. This is like the way we were made. You ever think about how a butter knife feels when we use it to screw in a screw? It can't feel good. I've seen butter knives damaged by this abuse because I was the one trying to use it as a screwdriver, right? But there's something wonderful when a butter knife is used to spread butter. It's, it's the right shape. It's the right weight. It's, it's, everything is the right. It just is right because that's what it was made for. Well, guys, this is what you and I were made for. And we know it too, because those times when we've been able to step in and help somebody, right? It's like, yes, we leave there feeling better than the person we helped most of the time. When we go out and serve, like in Love Patterson or, or, or whatever it is, or at the food pantry, these kinds of things that bring justice and help out the vulnerable, these are the kind of things that we're like, this is, this is living right here. We bring food to somebody who's just got out of the hospital or whatever it is. You see someone being mistreated at a store or at school and you step in to help the one who's being mistreated or to stand up on their side. And, and the truth is, is that living outside of that will, ne will never work because God designed us to walk in step with him. He says in Galatians through Paul, since we're living by the spirit, let us follow the spirits leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. 
So in order to follow the Spirit's leading, we have to be reading his word and praying and listening to him and seeking, what is it, God? What is your heart? Aligning ourselves with God's heart means I care about what God cares about. Well, what does God care about? What does he care about? He says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. We have some friends that used to that have this uh, ministry in different parts of the world. One of the parts is, is Uganda. And uh, one of the things that they do, I mean, actually the whole focus of their entire ministry, it's called PURE. It stands for Pure and Undefiled Religion. And their whole entire focus is ministering to widows and orphans. And I got to go there a few years back in 2018 and see how there was a widow's house that they had heard about. And the only restroom that she had access to, her and actually her grandkids, because the parents had died. So it was literally a widow and orphans. The only restroom they had was a hole in the ground about 40 feet behind their house. And it's in the middle of the jungle. It's exposed. It's dangerous. Imagine going there in the middle of the night. Some of us might do that backpacking or something, but we don't want to live there. We just want a vacation there. But one of the things that they do is they come in and, and they buy supplies locally and, and they build just a simple outhouse so that when somebody comes out to use that facility, they, they can go and close the door and actually latch it shut. And there's an element of privacy and an element of security. I wonder how God sees that, don't you? And maybe God doesn't take all of us to Uganda. But I wonder in our own workplace, in our own neighborhood, what God might be able to do through us. See, God cares about those who have been through trauma and need help. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting here saying, I'm, I feel like a widow, an orphan. Maybe I am. What would it look like to care for them? What would it look like for me to pursue God's heart when I see somebody hungry, when I see somebody vulnerable, somebody weak? How could I align with God's heart? Because there's something about stepping into that where we're walking where God is walking. We're doing the things that God cares about that brings contentment into our lives. As I close this message, I want to share kind of a paraphrase that I wrote about from Psalm 1 because I think it speaks about the difference between finding contentment in Christ and kind of going our own way. So I hope this resonates with you. It says this, Take a look at these people who can't stop dancing. Everyone who plugs their ears when someone's telling them to do bad things. Everyone who takes a hike whenever people are asking them to join them in being stuck in the muck of sin. And everyone who bites their tongue when other people spew rude, crude, and hurtful words. Instead, their heart skips a beat when they hear what God has to say. And they're reading and thinking about it practically 24-7 like an obsession. Picture them as trees that someone purposely planted right next to a fresh flowing river. The result 
is flourishing. Check out the incredible harvest, bountiful, delicious fruit, year after year after year. No signs of lacking anything. They keep being blessed every time they turn around. It's a whole different story, though, for everyone who clenches their fists and rejects God's ways. Picture the leftover parts of a plant, the parts that no one wants, a bunch of dried up leaves and stems blown away by the slightest breeze. The judge drops his gavel and he utters guilty as charged. They'll find themselves on the outside, doors bolted shut, uninvited, no way in. The king made sure that those who built his kingdom got in, but those who tried to destroy it ended up destroying themselves. That's a picture of contentment and discontentment. So finally, here's our challenge for today, for this week. I want you to remember Cooper. That miniature schnauzer, no matter how many doggy treats he got, he always wanted one more. Still not satisfied, not content, always wanting the next thing. How many of us chase that one more in a quest to find satisfaction? This week, God is giving you and me a challenge to this, to do this. Try depending on Christ in every situation. Pray this prayer. Jesus, I know you're enough. Help me rely on your everything for you are everything I need. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, today, God, we know that there's a part of us that, that always wants more. And there's an element to that that is actually good, God. When we're more, wanting more of you, when we're wanting to follow you more closely, when we're wanting to grow in our faith, when we're wanting to share more of your love, when we're wanting to go and reach more with the hope that you give. But Lord, there's a shadow side to that where we want more and more and more and, and more is still not enough. And it becomes this driving force in our lives, God, that, that leads us to a place of discontent where we're never satisfied. We become grumpy and angry and frustrated and we start maybe even stepping over people and God that's just not it's not where your heart is it's not how you made us not how you designed us to live so Lord I pray for each and every one of us today help us Lord wherever we're at in that journey God to just today pause long enough Say, God, you are our source. You are our provider. Help us, Lord, in, in the humility that you give. Help us to truly depend on you and to join you, to align our hearts, God, with what you have for each one of us. We love you. We praise you, God. Thank you that you, you offer this life. This life of contentment is something that you give and you desire for every single one of us. God, help us to take hold of that contentment. And God, just to truly, truly walk in it. Lord, I forgot to pray about this earlier, but Lord, I, just, I saw the, 
there was an individual named Michaela who's missing, has been missing since the 18th, and maybe from Stockton, I'm not sure. God, you know exactly where she is. You know what's going on. You know what the situation, the circumstances are. And Lord, as a church, as a family here today, a family of faith, we just pray together, God, believing in you, that God, you would help her to return home safely. God, even that it could even be today. God, do a miracle in her life. Rescue her, God, from whatever, whatever has happened. If it's traffickers, if it's just her own running away, God, whatever it is, Lord, we just pray for you to deliver her and deliver her back home, Lord. Protect her, we pray. Just watch over her. And God, watch over us this week as we go about our stuff and business and everything that goes on, all the pressures, all the obligations that we have. God, I pray that we would surrender all those to you and truly be able to live in your peace. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Guys, would you stand with me? I just want to say God bless you this week. Stay cool. It's going to cool down. So amen to that. And uh, have a blessed week, you guys. God bless. Have a great week.